for us to think together about some places of refuge, places of protection and shelter from the danger or distress. When we turn to James 1 and 17, we read that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation, neither shadow that is cast by turning. Every good gift. God is the source of all of our blessings. And he is able to bestow those blessings on anyone, at any time, at any place, and any way that he may choose. I don't think anyone would argue with the fact that God has the right and the power to bless as he chooses. Therefore, when we suggest that there are restricted areas or controlled circumstances where man obtains the blessings from God, we're not saying that God is limited or that God is restricted, but that God has placed limitations and restrictions on man. Man must accept them in obedience of faith, that is the blessings of God, or reject them in unbelief. God has never been indiscriminate in blessing mankind spiritually. I said he's never been indiscriminate in blessing mankind spiritually. Now as material blessings come to one and all, he's merciful and provident to all in providing for our and theirs and everybody's material blessings. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 45 that the Father makes his Son to rise upon the evil and the good and sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. So everyone is a recipient of the blessings of God that comes through his Son and the rain. And we notice when it says his Son, it's spelled S-U-N. God uses his Son, he's the creator, it belongs to him. And he blesses everybody by the sun, his son, and the rain. But, that's talking about material blessings. The Lord's spiritual blessings have always been carefully circumscribed by the principle of obedience. These are God's terms. And King Saul should have learned this lesson. You remember when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt? They were attacked from behind, this is in Exodus chapter 17, by the Amalekites. Well, some centuries later, when Saul was the king of Israel, <clears throat> he sent word to his prophet Samuel, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to Saul to go down and destroy all of the Amalekites. <coughs> <coughs> it's not the amplifying system, it's my throat. <laughs> that sounds quaky like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so Saul took his army down to the Amalekites and he was destroy everybody, young and old, with all of their possessions. But when Saul came back, he brought back Agag, the king, and some of the best of the flocks and the herds. He said, well, the people wanted to do this, and we brought these back to offer as sacrifices unto God. Now, you remember what Samuel said? <clears throat> In 1 Samuel 15 and 22, hath Jehovah, 
as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Jehovah? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so the Lord blesses us spiritually when we obey him. Faith will seek God's blessings. Where God has placed them and in accord with his stipulated terms. Now let's notice five places from both the Old and the New place, uh, New Testament. <clears throat> This is a place of refuge and safety, and the first example we'll use is in Noah's Ark. There was refuge and safety in the Ark. We remember the background. Man had become so corrupt and violent. In fact, Genesis 6 and 5 tells us <clears throat> that man's heart was only evil continually. There was no respite. It wasn't a vacillation. It was always, only, evil, continually. And so God decided he was going to destroy the world. But there was one among all of the people who found favor in God's sight, and of course, that was Noah. When we turn to Genesis 6, let me read about three different verses. <clears throat> in verse 8 we read, But Noah found favor in the eyes of Jehovah. Then in verse 13, and God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. And he goes on to explain that. And then we drop down to verse 22. It says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God <coughs> commanded him, so did he. <coughs> God could have saved Noah in other ways. God was not limited to the ark and flood method of saving him and his family. But once God ordained, planned, and appointed, this way of salvation will Noah was limited. There wasn't any other way. But he had to accept God's way. Well, we read that Noah did. Noah believed in God, and he responded in obedience. Now, we'll go on. Look at 7 and 1. We're still in Genesis. <clears throat> and Jehovah said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. That's the place of shelter and protection and salvation. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. <clears throat> Verse 7. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood. And then verse 23. And every living thing was destroyed that was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only was left, and they that were with him in the ark. That's where salvation was for Noah and his family. When we turn to Hebrews 11 and 7, we read that by faith, Noah being warned of God concerning things not yet seen, moved with God, they fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his family. 
to which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. When he speaks about becoming an heir of righteousness, he's talking about being righteous with God, receiving God's righteousness, God's justification, God's forgiveness. And that's always been the way it's in faith that is obedient to God, that salvation comes. And so Noah, to his faith, obeyed God, brought his family into the ark where only salvation was. Whereas everybody else outside the ark perished. No shelter, no deliverance outside. Well, another example. There was refuge and there was safety in the house of the Israelites when they were living in Egypt. This is a, a comparable situation in the events of the first Passover. Israel had been slaves in Egypt for some generations. God raised up Moses. Then Moses, because he slew an Egyptian, had to flee and was gone for about 40 years, not just about, but the Bible says 40 years, around Sinai. And then he came back. And he came back to deliver Israel from their slavery. God said, Moses, I'm going to bring 10 plagues upon the Egyptians. But, God, but Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. And because of this hardened heart, he's not going to let the children of Israel flee until we get to the 10th plague. That 10th plague is going to be the last one. It's going to be a great one. And it's the one in which all the firstborn, both man and beast, would be slain throughout the land. But God desired to save the firstborn of Israel. And so he made provisions, specific provisions about this Passover. Now in Exodus 12, we can read about them. He said to, to select an, an animal, one year old, could be a male, could be either a goat or it could be a sheep. Take that animal on the 10th day, keep it till the 14th day and then slay it. Take the blood from that animal and place it upon the two side posts and the lintel of your doorpost of your house where you are and you get inside it. And you eat all of that food. If there's any left over the next day, you burn it. And so he gave these and their other provisions that God specified. They had to be in the house because that's where the salvation was. Strictly located their salvation in the house. Let me read from Exodus 12, verse 21. Or I believe it's number 22. Okay. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Deliverance is inside the house. And that's where they were to stay. God could have saved the people, the firstborn of the Israelites, in any way he chose. He could have said, now I want you to, to dig trenches. Put all your firstborn in those trenches. Or put them down in the cage, or put them up in the trees, whatever terms God might have selected. But that's not the way he chose to do it, is it? He selected that they should be in the house, and the houses that were sealed by the blood of the, of the Lamb. 
Now, I think we could all agree that man was powerless to concoct any other way of salvation. All the honesty and the sincerity and the conscientious efforts of any family would not have provided for their deliverance. It was only through God's instructions. Israel would have suffered the same fate as the Egyptian firstborn had they not done God's will. And so we find that safety and refuge was inside the house. That is, the houses that had been sealed with blood. Well, there's another example we find in the Old Testament. There was shelter and there was safety in the cities. But just a few cities and specific cities. We call them the cities of refuge. When the children of Israel had wandered 40 years, had come into the land of promise, God gave them a law. He says that there are to be three cities on the north, excuse me, on the west side and three cities on the east side of the Jordan River. They're to be spaced out up in the north, then in the central, and then in the south. And when anyone unintentionally kills somebody, is guilty of manslaughter, then he is to flee to the closest city of refuge for shelter. Because the avenger of blood had the responsibility, and the avenger of blood was the, the closest of kin to the victim. He had the responsibility of killing, putting to death, you know, life for life, like a tooth for tooth and so forth, to put that uh, person to death. And so God provided for them to flee to one of these cities of refuge. And then they were to stand trial back in their own community. And if they were found to have done it accidentally, for example, here are a couple of men, and I think the Bible uses this illustration. They're out uh, working. Maybe they're cutting down wood for fire or clearing out a place to grow vegetables or whatever. But the axe head comes loose of the hammer and hits his co-worker in the head and kills him. Well, it was not done with premeditation. It was an accident. Well, he doesn't wait around. He's not supposed to because if the avenger of blood finds him without a trial, he can kill him. He had that responsibility. And so he's to flee. And if he's found not guilty of murder, then he's to go back to that city of refuge and he's to remain there until the death of the high priest. Now, we can imagine the high priest had just uh, been appointed as a new one. You know, his father died and the successor would be the oldest son. And he might live another 40, 45, 50 years. Well, that man is exiled to that city of refuge and he's got to remain inside it until that high priest dies. On the other hand, the high priest may be old and he just lives another year. Well, he can go back home. And the avenger blood can't touch him. The six cities on the, uh, the west side up in the north in the province of, of uh, Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali, was uh, uh, Kadesh. Yeah. Then in the central part in the tribe of Ephraim was Shechem. And then down in the south part in the tribe of Judah was Hebron. And if we've been listening to television news lately, we know what... Hebron has, has uh, had occur there, where this uh, Jewish fundamentalist went to the, uh, the mosque of the patriarchs, and underneath that mosque is where the cave of Machpelah 
is supposed to be. Certainly it was in Hebron, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives were all buried there. But he went there and he killed a whole lot of people. That was in Hebron, one of the cities of refuge. Well, on the east side up in the north was Golan. We hear about the Golan Heights. Then in the central part, there was Ramoth Gilead in the area of Gilead, but Ramoth was the name of the town or city. And then in the south, in the province of Reuben, was um, Bezer. And so wherever this might have happened, they were to be close enough to flee to that city of refuge. And that's where they found shelter, safety, and security only in the city of refuge. Well, let's notice another example. The refuge and the safety that was offered in Paul's ship. You remember in Exodus 21, Paul had come back to Jerusalem. He had been seen with Trophimus, who was a Gentile from Ephesus, in the town. Well, they assumed that Paul had taken this Gentile into the temple and had defiled the temple. And so they grabbed Paul and were about to kill him until he was rescued by the Roman soldiers. Eventually, he had to go to Caesarea. There he was for two years until he appealed to Caesar. And then he was put on a boat, uh, on a ship, to go to Rome. Well, it wasn't a good time of the year to travel on the Mediterranean Sea. They were approaching the Isle of Crete. And what they wanted to do was to come around to the haven of Phoenix. And they were almost there. But before they reached that, there was a great tempest, a great storm that caught the ship and just carried it. And for 14 days, it flowed. I say flowed. It didn't just drift. It was, it was driven by this wind. They couldn't see the sun or the stars. And Luke tells us that all hope had been given up. And then an angel appeared to, to Saul to tell him that he was going to appear before Caesar. And those that were with him in the boat, there were 276. It was a big boat. Which meant that they were going to arrive safely in Rome eventually. But they still had a lot of dangers to go through. Well, then we read after 14 days of just drifting that the sailors pretended that they were going to lay by some of the anchors of the foreship. And so they had this, we'd call it a lifeboat. They were going to get in it, and really, because they were getting close to land. Somehow the sailors could tell, and so they sounded. And then a little bit later, they sounded again, and the water was getting more shallow. And so that's when they wanted to escape. But Paul knew what the plan was, and so he said to the centurion and the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye, not just those men, but the whole group, would perish. So the shelter and the salvation and the deliverance was inside the ship until they got near enough to the land. Now, God could have provided some other means of saving them. Uh, Maybe greater lifeboats. Maybe uh, some of them suggested dolphins. But whatever, God went for remaining in the ship. That's where the shelter and the security was. Only in the ship. Well now, those are four examples. And in each of these four examples that we've just given, God promised specific blessings in designated places. And as a parallel to these 
studied, we want to study the spiritual blessings which God has placed in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and 3 says that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is in Christ. Surely, God could have extended his spiritual blessings to man out of Christ, but he didn't go that way. He did not choose to do it that way. And as we found salvation in the ark, Noah's ark, as we found it in the Israelites' house sealed with blood, as we found it in the city of refuge, and as we found it in the ship, even so, God extends salvation in Jesus Christ. In 2 Samuel 2, verse 10, Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That was the type of salvation Paul was seeking, and he said it's located, the place is, in Christ. Peter said in Acts 4 and 12, In none other is there salvation. Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men wherein we must be saved. So salvation is in Christ. But that same salvation is located in his church. Not two salvations. It's the same. Acts 2.47, And the Lord added daily to the church such as were being saved. The Lord adds the saved to the church. The church is composed of saved. That's where salvation is in. It's in Christ and it's in his spiritual body, the church. Ephesians 5 and 23 tells us that the fathers, uh, fathers are the head of the, uh, of the husbands, excuse me. The husbands are the head of the wives, even as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the savior of the body. And we know from Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the body is the church. So we find salvation in Christ. We find it also in the church. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is also in his spiritual body, the church. And conversely, everything out of Jesus Christ is also out of the church. And everything out of the church is out of Christ. They are inseparable. When we turn to Galatians 1.21, we know that the churches are in Christ. Paul said that he was unknown to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. Christians are in Christ. The churches composed of Christians are also identified as being in Christ. Well, let's notice a few other blessings that are located in Christ. We've talked about salvation, even eternal salvation in Christ and in the church. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17... Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, they become new. We're a new creation. Your version may put it that way. But where? When we're in Christ. <coughs> Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, we find that we're created in Christ. And created for good works. Reconciliation is in both Christ and it's in his church, the body. Look at Ephesians 2 and we'll start at verse 13 down through 16. 
He says, now ye that once were far off have been made nigh in the blood of Christ. That's talking about reconciliation. At one time they were without God, without Christ, without hope and so forth. But now in Christ Jesus, ye that once were far off are made nigh. That's reconciliation. For he is our peace who made both one. And break down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that he might create of the two one new man in Christ Jesus. Remember, that's the new man created in Christ Jesus. And might reconcile both of them, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, in one body, that's the church, under God, through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So the reconciliation in that verse tells us it's in Christ. It's in his one body. Reconciliation unto God. There's security in Christ. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Those that live according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. Now, we can see how a person can change and start living after the flesh and not after the Spirit, and he's going to lose because he's going to be departing from the Lord and His way. All of His spiritual blessings. But as long as one remains in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Philippians 4 and 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Where does he say we ought to rejoice? In the Lord. Who's the Lord? Well, Christ is the Lord. The reason why we ought to rejoice in the Lord, he tells us, well, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. It refers to Christ in whom dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in him ye are made full. Now, maybe your burden says ye are made complete. But it's in Christ. And notice what he's saying right there. Because of our union with Jesus Christ who is deity... We partake of the life of God. What kind of life is that? Well, I think we know it's holy living. Having already, and that's the tense that's used there, having already been made partakers of the divine nature. Now, what's it mean to be, as Christians, partakers, that is, shares of the divine nature? Well, we share in the holy character which God possesses. We are children of God in Christ. We are partakers of the divine nature. Well, even in death we have the blessings, but it's in the Lord. And I heard a voice say this Revelation 14 and 13. Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. But they shall find rest, but their works do follow with them. So when we're faithful unto the Lord and die in the Lord then we have the promise of blessing. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from henceforth. Now, we've mentioned some of the spiritual blessings. We notice from Ephesians 1 and 3, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. So you can continue to study those others if you wish. But it all depends, enjoying these spiritual blessings, on our finding the place of refuge, the place of Salvation, which is in Christ, and abiding in Christ. We can't dart in and then dart out. 
But how do we get into Christ? You know, Galatians 3.27, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Same thought in Romans 6 and 3. Or are you ignorant that all of we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And so being baptized into Christ, we have this spiritual relationship that brings about all spiritual blessings. And we must abide in him. Jesus said in Revelation 2.10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. That's eternal life in heaven. But be thou faithful unto death. May I encourage you, if you're not in Christ, that's wherever spiritual blessing is, to obey the Lord, to obey the gospel, to come into that union with Jesus Christ where we find these blessings, not outside, but in him. So if you're subject to the gospel, will you come as together we stand and sing?